it's been a while, it's been a long time, but I am back and I want to first of all say happy holidays if you celebrate Christmas or New Year's. Um, some of you do, even though it's capitalist holiday, but some of you do, and it's kind of nice to get together with family, so I'm not going to knock that. Anyway, uh, I have, excuse me, I have come across some startling news about my ancestry, and it has inspired me to jump back into the topic of the first indigenous Americans were dark-skinned. And I had touched on that, or I've, I've talked about it previously in other episodes, but I want to really dive deep into it. I'm going to use... Um, Eden Saga and Other History of Mankind by Xavier Seguin, and I probably butchered his surname, I'm sorry about that, but um, I'm going to use his blog post, I'm going to read from it, and I'm also going to read from Dr. David Imhotep's The First Africans Were, excuse me, The First Americans Were Africans. Now, there's some controversy with uh, that notion that the first Americans were African. One, you have the very pale Native Americans who think that dark-skinned Native Americans, or excuse me, dark-skinned Indigenous Americans, because there's a difference, um think we're trying to steal their culture. One, two, they have sided with the colonizer uh, to prevent us or try to prevent us from reclaiming our heritage. And three, some of them probably just don't like the fact that they're indigenous Americans who are dark skinned and they don't want to be seated from their lofty position of being a Native American. But that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to uncover the truth. I found out that I'm not only of Quechian ancestry, Mayan and Aztec ancestry, Mixtec and uh Wisharika or Huichel ancestry. Not only am I of Kumie, Serrano, Malekma, Ohlone ancestry, not only am I Haida and Inuit ancestry, I'm also from Southeastern ancestry. The Pamunkey, the Powhatan, Nansimone, and Iroquois. Those people are in my DNA. Pocahontas, or Mataoka, was one of my great aunts. So 
So I have a right to talk about this, dissect it, and I want to know the truth. Okay, and there's also something else. Uh, There are other people on YouTube, and they're amazing. They give great information. They claim that dark-skinned indigenous people are not African. I happen to agree, but I don't... I'm not sure if... Because it's the out-of-Africa theory that has been dominant. I don't know if the out-of-Africa theory holds up. I'm also not sure that uh, we can totally cut our ties from Africa. But I will say this. If you come from somewhere else and you've been in this new place for over 100,000 years, why would you still associate with the original continent you came from? I don't think that's... I just don't think that's realistic. And that says to me, oh, that's programming. So all due respect to Dr. David Inhotep, he wrote the book and he he did the research along with others, calling ourselves black, Native Americans. I don't think that's it. But anyway, uh, I want to get into the episode. So here we go. This is uh, a post from Eden Saga and Other History of Mankind. And the post is called Native Black Americans by Xavier Seguin. Uh, please go to his blog and check it out. He has so many articles written up. It's amazing. I I took a couple of weeks just to get through his whole blog site and it's it's really awesome. Okay, so here we go. History is not a science or else that of lies. By crossing several modern sciences and academics shows that pre-Columbian America was partly an African continent. Here is how the white racialist West has disguised this astonishing truth. Pathé Diagne is a university professor in the USA and West Africa, a specialist in African languages and cultures. He has long studied the pre-Columbian Americas. He discovered some interesting things. For millennia, African people have colonized America, which they called Tirana. Using the corridor of the trade winds, the mussels, fishers of West Africa, Yoruba country, have fearlessly crossed the ocean to populate Tirana. They have developed across the Atlantic civilizations, urban farming, spiritual, and artistic. This African colonization of the American continent has continued long enough to leave remains, architectural, cultural, linguistic, toponomic, and genetic, which are indisputable. In a huge and dense book, the academic accumulates similarities between the names of places, cities, rituals, language, beliefs, and the defeated reader bows before the evidence. It was long believed that Africans were not sailors on high seas. By racism, they were thought unable to cross the Atlantic Ocean. 
It is true that in ancient times, ocean navigation was unknown of seamen from Europe and the Mediterranean who practiced only coastal navigation. Our historians have concluded that Africans did not know either and that they had never known it. it was always this annoying myth of linear progress that misleads us. Yet in the middle of prehistory, one can find traces of transatlantic crossings, instruments of offshore navigation, very ancient transcontinental maps, and even the remains of a ship on the Brazilian coast. Our distant ancestors did not wear underpants made of buffalo skin. They did not live in caves, uttering guttural grunts as we have been taught. They were much more civilized than the Romans or the ancient Greeks. We discover today that prehistory, as it was depicted to us, must be receded into a past much more distant. A new historical period came to be intercalated between history and prehistory the early history or proto-history, the history before history. It is unlike anything known. For millennia, during the proto-history, some Native American populations have contributed to the peopling of the Americas next to the Oceanian and Eurasian migrations, wrote Pathé Diagne. All the vocabulary, spiritual, geopolitical, cultural, and artistic of the American continent refers to the communities Yoruba, Fon, Mina, Lebu, Wolof, Bantu, Maritana, Mandenge, Soninke, or Akan Bal. Indeed, we find the African vocabulary of Tarakasun, Alaska and Tarragoni, Patagonia from the Gaitamara of Guatemala and the Andors of Honduras to the Garifunia of California. Africa feeds the Tapanomi of Toro Silla or Peru Chile of the Baragua, Paraguay, and Berugua, Uruguay. Diagne speaks of transatlantic monarchies, real, real settlements of African peopling established in America. There emerges a kind of colonist Africa, firmly established in its American possessions, exercising its authority on indigenous red peoples, with whom the blacks lived together for millennia. They have repeatedly crossed the Atlantic and went further still since we find a trace of the mussels fissures on the Pacific coast. The North Equatorial Corridor taken by Christopher Columbus was known for a millennia. The African King Bakari II used it more than a century before Columbus. At the same time, there are Templars, so Pathé Diagne explains to us that this corridor corridor of trade winds is marked by the imprint of the mussels, fishers, lebu, north bantu of western Atlantic. These sea peoples, Gijawe, built one of the largest port networks covering both coasts of the Atlantic and the Pacific American. The network starts in Menfari, Memphis, Salse, Sais, Lebuta, Leptis, Tanisis, Tanit, Tunis, Kusta, Kuta, Tingita, Tangiers. It combines Tarataka's Carthage and Tarataka's Caracas. This port system was the very ancient achievement of the Black civilization, Nubo Egyptian, responsible of the portalons of Piriris and other sea charts from unexplained origin. Urbanized African native populations of the Americas designated themselves as Mara, Mara, or Maya. 
They were named also Marana, Maroon, Maritana, Maradona, from Maraneba or Maraniabi, or excuse me, Marin Maranabo, sorry, established for millennia on both sides of the ocean. These black people have been contested as indigenous by the European migration. The colonial state has marginalized them with the help of the church and the black code. The Euro-American racist state treats them with condescension through two discriminatory codes, the black code and the metic code, whose objective is to maintain these native populations in a state of subjection in relation to the white race dominating by divine right. Okay. That was a mouthful for me to read, but there you go. So, you know, there, there have been some shenanigans involved in hiding and cloaking and marring this fact. Some people don't want it revealed. Some people want it revealed, but they want to mess up the facts to keep us all confused. So let's not be confused any longer. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to attempt <laughs> to read from Dr. David Inhope Tepp's The First Americans Were Africans Expanded and Revised Edition. So the update is uh, fairly recent from 2021. So, let's see. Where should we start? Okay, I'm going to start on page... page six of the book. All right. I'll read as much as I can before my jaw gives out. Anyway. Uh, Let's see. Um, Actually, let's start page five. Okay. From where did these first Americans begin? It all began in ancient Africa. Some sailed directly to the Americas, others traveled to Europe and Asia, and eventually ended up in the Americas. To understand exactly what happened, we must dig into the details at a site in Oldovai Gorge in Tanzania, Africa. Anthropologists have found the human habitation with sharp-edged stone tools among its belongings. The humans were of short stature, only 4.5 to 5.5 feet tall. Leakey, Professor Leakey and others theorized that it was indeed a short African race which preceded a taller one. The first Homo sapien Europeans were Africans, more specifically short-statured sub-Saharan Khoisan Africans known by the Hapla group NDNAH. They carried with them to ancient Europe 40,000 years ago. This evidence has been scientifically documented in Dr. Imhotep's graduate dissertation. 
This Khoisan or Aurignacian migration from Northwestern Africa to Europe was documented in Nature magazine in 2011. And here's a little snippet from it. The earliest anatomically modern humans in Europe are thought to have appeared around 43,000 to 42,000 years before the present by association with Aurignacian sites and lithic assemblages with a collection of stone tools assumed to have been made by modern humans rather than Neanderthals. Okay. Using archaeological studying ancient artifacts, craniometry, the scientific measurement of skulls, anthropological, the physical and cultural study of mankind and studying human genes using samples of ancient mtDNA, we examine the possibility that there was a third exit from Africa of anatomically modern humans across the Straits of Gibraltar into Iberia, North Africa, into Spain, and thence throughout Eurasia. The finding of ancient sub-Saharan mtDNA and related evidences make it clear that the Aurignacian culture was taken into Eurasia from Africa by Cro-Magnon people crossing the Straits of Gibraltar. Okay. These sub-Saharan people who left Africa crossing the Straits of Gibraltar into Europe then heading north and east are known by several names, Khoisan, Khoikhoi, or Ignatian Cro-Magnon, and later Grimaldi. Until recently, back to the brief snippet, it was assumed that the earliest dates were the HGN genes were in Eastern Eurasia. This view has changed recently as a result of the extraction and examination of ancient mtDNA from Cro-Magnon skeletons dating to the Aurignacian period. The archaeological evidence indicates that AMH, anatomical modern humans, replaced Neanderthal during the Aurignacian period in Europe between 32 to 35,000 years. The Khoisan Aurignacian civilization appears to have expanded from Africa's west to east. The founders of this culture came from Africa. Some researchers have argued that the Aurignacian culture was introduced to Europe from Africa. They base this conclusion on the fact that its toolkit was foreign to the Masterian type, and the culture appears in a mature form throughout Europe from France to Central Europe. The classic Aurignacian culture probably began in Africa. crossed the Straits of Gibraltar into Iberia and expanded eastward across Europe. Okay, so back to Dr. Imhotep. During the brief ice age and interstitial stitial warming period was experienced in Europe circa 40,000 years ago. The Khoisan entered many European landscapes from Africa during this period. Some of these areas were inevitably valleys. And one of these European valleys, one of the Khoisan's many groups, several thousands of years later, was labeled the Yurok, an African subgroup. After leaving their valley, sailing west and landing in the Americas, they were called Native Americans. For reasons unknown, these people packed all they had and began their journey west into the Americas, where they settled. Eventually, some of them headed south. The Yurok specifically stated they ended their long journey at the furthermost southern border of South America. 
That area is none other than the, than the Tierra del Fuego. They may, they excuse me. There may have been some African Fujians already there when the Yurok arrived, but there was no mention of this. No ancient mass graves or weapons have been found in Tierra del Fuego. The assumption is that there is no evidence of violence among these ancient African Fujians, nor against them from outsiders. There you go. That's a lot. The first people in the southernmost region of South America were dubbed Fugians. The evidence established is that the Fugians from South America are genetically connected to the Khoisan people of Sub-Saharan Africa. The Fugians were related to the Khoisans because of the Y chromosomes they carried. Fugians 100 to 400 BP carried haplogroup AI. HGAI is an African haplogroup. We can now safely say that they were the same people. We can see the origin of the Khoisan people here. Okay, so he offers another snippet, and this is from Dr. Clyde Winters. We analyzed the literature on ancient DNA of Paleo-Americans. It was found that the Paleo-Americans carried the mtDNA belonging to the M macro haplogroup and Y chromosome R. The Paleo-Americans were Khoisan. The Khoisan was the Cro-Magnon people who introduced the Seleucian cultures into Spain and, and North America. These founding indigenous Americans came to America in boats from Africa, which was the only place Paleo-Americans could sail from to reach the Americas during the last ice age. Now I'm gonna interject here. This is obviously an out of Africa uh, centered research book, okay? I don't, haven't found any evidence that knocks out of Africa, out of orbit. But I'm sure it's out there. I just haven't come across it. But if you have, drop me an email. Please. Because I want to know. Okay. To finish with the DNA evidence of the first people in the Americas... Dr. Imhotep says, the Chinese must be mentioned. Why? The old Clovis theory maintains the first Americans were Chinese. Well, here, we will expose who the first Chinese really were. Chinese scientist Professor Jin Li agrees with other Chinese scientists Wang and Li that the first Chinese had their roots in and originated in Africa. Okay. And it says here in a snippet, the current Y chromosome evidence suggests multiple early migrations of modern humans from Africa via Southeast Asia to East Asia. After the initial sediments, settlements, the northward migrations during the Paleolithic age shaped the genetic structure in East Asia. Once it became generally accepted that modern humans evolved recently in Africa, the times and routes of migration to East Asia remain controversial. The migration history of haplogroup DM174 is most mysterious. By now, we have known little about the origin and dispersal of this haplogroup. This haplogroup was derived from Africa haplogroup DEM1, YAP insertion, and is associated with a short black Asian physical style. 
Haplogroups E and D are brother haplogroups, while haplogroup E was carried westward to Africa by the tall black people. Haplogroup D might have been carried eastward to East Asia by the short black people. Okay, it's getting deep. <sighs> All right, now it's time for a break and I will be right back. Do you love music? Since 2005, Pitch Perfect Audio, located in Southern California, has been the source for the finest quality home audio stereo music systems. Their showroom is located in Cathedral City, California, and specializes in home stereo components crafted in the USA, England, Germany, Italy, and Japan. These unique products are designed with a singular purpose, for you to emotionally connect with the music that inspires you. Pitch Perfect Audio represents a range of cost-effective solutions for an enveloping musical experience in your home. And I can say from my experience listening to Pitch Perfect Audio stereo systems, shamanic drumming and solfeggio beats provides an immersive sound that you can only receive during a live performance. It's that amazing. Visit pitchperfectaudio.com to contact Pitch Perfect today for your stereo needs. And we're back. And now I'm going to continue on in this book. Uh, the First Americans Were Africans Expand and Revised by Dr. David Imhotep, second edition. So let's start on page 32. Did the first Americans come from Asia or Africa? Okay. There are reports that the first Americans were from Asia and Australia. DNA evidence indicates, however, that the first Americans came from Africa. They were short-statured and knew Twa or Tiwa. I can, sorry, I can never pronounce that. Help me out in the comments, please. Who eventually became the Fujians or Tierra del Fuego, the southernmost area in South America and populated most of South America at one time. Previously found all over the Americas, they were eventually pushed down to the southernmost tip of South America. And this is a snippet from uh, Dr. Clyde Winters. The results obtained using morphological and molecular data find that Fujian populations are distinct from the rest of the Amerindians. Researchers believe the Fujians are the remnants of the earliest settlers of the New World. The Fujians have a different genetic makeup than others. South America's Fujians and the African Khoisan carry the same M174 gene related to the D haploid group. Again, from scientific evidence, we see that Fujians are related to the Khoisan because of the Y chromosomes they carried. Fujians in 100-400 BP carried haplogroup A1. HGA1 is an African haplogroup. Here we have concrete evidence that the African Khoisan and the Fujians at the most southern tip of South America were related. Yes, the people of Tierra del Fuego were definitely distinct from and definitely arrived in an earlier migration wave than other Native Americans. 
They were short Africans who arrived tens of thousands of years before the Asians in the Americas. I'm going to say that again. They were short Africans who arrived tens of thousands of years before the Asians in the Americas. Y'all got it? Therefore, all the claims that the original Americans came from Asia, Australia, Melanesia, or anywhere else but Africa first are not backed by hard evidence. Besides that, scientists have stated, and this is a little snippet from Alexander Bragin, 2004, The Shadow of Atlantis, 1940, published by Montana, Kessinger Publishing, page 40 to 41. They came to America in a period very remote, the Autochthonous sorry, black races in America either gradually mixed with the Indian ones or became extinct. But in a very remote time, Negroes or Negroids were numerous to the New World. The definition of autochthonous is indigenous rather than descended from migrants or colonists. I'll say that again. The definition of autochthonous is indigenous rather than descendant from migrants or colonists. Okay. So, we've been here for over 100,000 years. Why are we calling ourselves black? Why are we calling ourselves African? think we need a new uh, label if we just have to have labels. We are moving into 5D where labels are not necessary. But if we just need one, I think we just found one. Autocutheness. What do you think? Okay, moving on. This passage seems to be saying it was the indigenous black races who entered the Americas in a period very remote and became the first Americans. So it was them, the black races, who were either gradually mixed with the Indians or became extinct by mixing with the Indians who this passage says were not autochthonous. The more numerous Asian red Indians crossing over the Bering Strait by the thousands bred out the autochthonous black races and took on the modern Indian genotype look. But then after the Vikings and after Columbus, Caucasians began to flood America, their color changed yet again. Since then, some of these Native Americans have become so light-skinned they look like pure Caucasians. Yeah, some of them do. Okay, back to the book. I have been told that these are the folks with just a couple percent of original native blood who are the ones that the powers that be are making it easy to build casinos on Indian reservations. They used to be called $5 Indians. However, a new name for these so-called Indians has been coined. They are being referred to now as Pretendians. This is humorous, but at the same time, it is very true. Dr. Imhotep says. It is a shame that the little land left to the real natives is now being used by people who have very little native blood left in their bodies. So we see that David Reich, professor of genetics at Harvard, was correct when he stated 
We all know the Bering Strait theory is as just theory, but not, but no, it's not fact. Okay. Moving on. Uh, let's, uh, Let's do, because we've all heard of Clovis and Kennelik, can't get away from that, right? So let's tackle the Clovis situation. Page 35, chapter two, they came before Clovis. When discussing ancient American history, one very interesting question that invariably emerges is, who were the first Americans and from where did they originate? Was the first American the Red Man, who we saw on television every Saturday morning with long hair blowing in the wind as he masterfully rode his horse bareback fighting the U.S. Cavalry? In the last several years, new evidence has been surfacing that will undeniably alter and quite possibly completely change the story we have seen on television and been taught in school. Also, the most widely accepted discovery in North America concerning the first Americans has been the Clovis discovery. What is Clovis, its significance and ramifications? This question will be answered in three steps. What is Clovis and what is the prevailing theory about Clovis? What evidence is there to confirm this new analysis? Who were the first people at Clovis? Okay. For years, ancient American history has been anchored by the Clovis story. Clovis is an archeological site in New Mexico that was first excavated in the 1930s. The Holy Grail for the Clovis first theory claimed to be the site that contained evidence for the first Americans arriving in 9400 BC, who walked from Asia across the Bering Strait to Alaska. Until recently, this claim was widely taught across America for many years. New findings should have caused the story of the route of entry into the Americas to change drastically. However, the basic story is still in place today with two small updates to keep the textbook theories alive. This original theory is that the first American people could have taken the northern route from Asia to Clovis, but during the last ice age in some areas, the glacier was a mile or two high blocking the inland route. The dates the ice covered the Bering Strait and its extent of coverage differs depending upon which glaciologists are referenced. The path from Asia to Alaska and Canada was blocked by ice from 150,000 until 10,000 years ago, when the Ice Age ended. During that period, colder weather must have rolled in, producing even larger ice barriers. The time period in question, 35,000 to 10,000 years ago, saw growth and expansion of huge ice sheets that covered vast regions of two continents, the two continents being Asia and North America. Therefore, migration across this glacier is extremely doubtful. If Clovis was dated 9400 BC and the passage was blocked 10,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago is the same as 8000 BC, then the Clovis people would have had to cross one or two mile high glaciers. 1400 years before they melted, 
and passage to Clovis would have been open. This theory logically has been shot down, so two updated theories were invented to save this population. Instead of walking overland through the middle of the Alaskan glacier, one updated theory speculates that the first Americans left Asia by walking around the glacier in far eastern Asia where the Pacific Ocean meets land by hugging the shore of far eastern Asia. They would continue east to Alaska and Canada, then south along the shore to modern Washington state until the glaciers ended. They would then walk inland away from the shore. This way they could have theoretically avoided the big glaciers as they walked along the sandy beaches of the Pacific Ocean from far eastern Asia to Alaska's beaches and down to Washington state's beaches. Even today, cruise ship tourists sailing to Alaska during the spring have witnessed large chunks of ice falling from the top of an iceberg all the way down into the ocean. Therefore, no shore was available for the ice to fall on. In some areas, the shore is completely covered by a glacier. However, during the ice age, the glacier was much larger and extended out far beyond the beach landmass into the ocean. There was no shore for hundreds and possibly thousands of miles. If there was no shore on which to walk, the Clovis theory does not work. There was no shore in the far north back then because Alaska was among the other areas experiencing the Ice Age. Even today, Alaska is north of the freezing zone of the 51st parallel. Therefore, this logically means that during the Ice Age, when it was even colder, Alaska was freezing and covered by a glacier, including the beaches. And um, so here's a snippet from Stephen P. Morse, computing distances between latitudes, long longitudes, and one step, 2008. And his website is www.stevemorse.org backslash nearest backslash distance dot php. Okay. In 1824, Russia and USA signed a treaty accepting 54 degrees four minutes latitude as the southern boundary of Russian America. Disregarding the 1824 date and the treaty with Russia statements, we focus on the southern part of Alaska that is a distance of two degrees, four minutes latitude. That area is north of the 51st parallel. Therefore, that area of two degrees, four minutes latitude in the distance, as the crow flies, is 211.42 miles spherical Earth. Back to Dr. Imhotep. That area farther north is colder since it is 211.42 miles north of the 51st parallel. Translated in simple terms, the shores of southern Alaska were completely frozen even more solid during the Ice Age. The freeze line is more than 211 miles south of the Alaskan shores. This would rule out any shore-hugging trips that we were told were a, were a possible way the Asians reached Alaska and eventually North America during the last ice age. Another problem with this theory is that there is no evidence found of ancient boats, excuse me, ancient boats or even pieces of ancient boats that could have been used to make this ancient Pacific coast journey 10,000 years ago. With that being said, there are some archaeologists who still hold on to this unfound theory, although they have yet to find any preserved boats in early Pacific Coastal American sites. Wow, that deserves a bit of a drink. Hold on.
Okay. The second updated theory is that the first Americans could have sailed from Australia or Melanesia to South America, which would take many months to reach. By the way, Melanesia is located just north of Australia and stretches southwest to the island of Fiji. It's common knowledge that the islands from Australia down to Fiji were first inhabited by brown people. The suffix of Melanesia, Polynesia, and Micronesia is Nesia. The suffix Nesia is a derivative of Nessos. Furthermore, Nessos is from the Greek language meaning island. Melanesia, Polynesia, and Micronesia are all islands. Melanin is a dark brown pigment. Pigment means natural coloring. Melanesia means either dark brown island or island of dark brown people. The reason all this is mentioned is due to the secondary theory above that the first Americans could have sailed from Australia or Melanesia to South America. What this secondary theory is telling us is that if the first Americans came from an island that was inhabited by dark people, would they or their ancestors not also have been Africans? Now, just to reiterate, this is from the out of Africa theory, which is a theory. So, um, take it as you will, okay? This could be a hijack. It might not be a hijack. I don't know. Hijack meaning um, all dark brown people are African. I don't agree with that. All dark people are not African. There are dark people, dark brown people all over this planet before everyone was hijacked by pale ones. Okay? So, anyway. Leaving aside the traditional way of thinking, are there other possible routes the first Americans could have chosen to reach the New World? The Americas from the Old World? The answer is yes. Yes, indeed. The western route would be the one the Vikings took, island hopping from northwestern Europe west to Canada. However, this route would not be practical either because northwestern Europe had experienced the Ice Age as well. The reason for this is, as you will soon see, the Vikings Scandinavian home as well over 1,000 miles farther north than southern Alaska. This means there was even more ice to travel on, as mentioned earlier. From the other example of southern Alaska's latitude being 54 degrees 4 minutes latitude, Greenland is even farther north and colder than Alaska at a chilling 70, 72 degrees latitude. The distance as the crow flies is 1,194.97 miles further north, spherical Earth from Alaska's latitude. The 194.97 mile marker did not begin from the freezing line and continue north to Greenland's most southern point. It began at Alaska's latitude. 200. Do you love music? Since 2005, Pitch Perfect Audio, located in Southern California, has been the source for the finest quality home audio stereo music systems. Their showroom is located in Cathedral City, California, and specializes in home stereo components crafted in the USA, England, Germany, Italy, and Japan. 
These unique products are designed with a singular purpose for you to emotionally connect with the music that inspires you. Pitch Perfect Audio represents a range of cost-effective solutions for an enveloping musical experience in your home. And I can say from my experience listening to Pitch Perfect Audio stereo systems, shamanic drumming and solfeggio beats provides an immersive sound that you can only receive during a live performance. It's that amazing. Visit pitchperfectaudio.com to contact Pitch Perfect today for your stereo needs. By adding 211.42 to 1,194.47, we see that Greenland is 1,406.39 miles above the freezing point area. That would rule out the island hopping in exchange for an oceanic voyage from one continent to another. Finally, we see that the two theories are now dated. Let us now look at how the Europeans may have tried to travel to the Americas from the northern part of Europe. Even though the northern route has been ruled out because of the glaciers, let us look at how far it would be to travel to the New World from northern Europe after the Ice Age ended. Island hopping required covering a distance from Norway west to Iceland to Greenland and on to Canada, which was 1,240 miles or 1,077 nautical miles. They would experience very cold weather and have to navigate icebergs even larger than the one that sunk the Titanic. Why? Because these icebergs would have been formed in far colder weather in the Ice Age than those of the warmer times of the Titanic. All the islands above, including Canada on the mainland, would have been buried under glaciers as well. By the time they reached the closest, most eastern part of Canada with snow or ice covering Baffin Island, they would have had to travel as far south as New York to find land not covered by the Ice Age snow. To find the most conservative estimate, we will measure from the southern point of Baffin Island at the capital city of Ilkaluit to New York City. That distance is another 1,400 nautical miles. The total distance would have been 1,400 plus 1,077 equals 2,477 nautical miles. For your information, 2,477 nautical miles would be equal to 2,850 land miles from Norway to Canada to New York where the Ice Age ended. Or, where, or rather where the ice age ice ended. What then is the shortest distance from the old world to the new? The answer is that from the bulge in the African continent west to Brazil and South America is the shortest route. This direct route across the Atlantic from Africa to South America is nearly, nearly six times closer than a trip from Australia east to South America. That route is 1,300 miles further than from Africa west to South America. Okay. So y'all can look on it on a map and chart that out for yourselves. I'm going to keep reading. How long would the Africa to South America trip take by boat? To answer this question, we shall draw from an experiment conducted by Dr. Alan Bombard, MD, in 1964. He was a physician from Liberia. Bombard was aware of the ocean currents off the African coast that run like conveyor belts to the Americas and back. 
He rented a boat without an oar, sail, or rudder and drifted in the current from Africa to the Americas in a documented 52 days. He had a supply ship for food and water, but they never touched the boat to propel it. Now that, wish he had filmed that. Maybe someone will make a movie of it, because that's, that's pretty boss. Anyway, back to this book. Hence, the first Americans may not have come from Asia. New evidence has surfaced from several different areas that made it necessary to take another look at all of these theories. The first Americans are referred to as Paleo-Americans. That is a term that describes the people who lived in the Americas during the Paleolithic period, which extends from 2 million to 11,000 years ago. Also, the terms Paleolithic and Pleistocene are synonyms and refer to the same time period. However, both must be used not to, not to confuse the reader, but to be able to correctly and directly quote necessary evidence from different sources that use different terms. Regardless of the term used, the Paleolithic and Pleistocene predate the Holocene. Unfortunately, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, many sources still ignore the Paleolithic lines in the Americas but cite the late Pleistocene and early Holocene discoveries. Where's the hard evidence for the claim that the first Americans walked over from Asia? There's only one archaeological site of note in the Bering Corridor between Canada and Asia. Okay, and uh, this uh, snippet is from Nina G. Jablonski. The First Americans, the Pleistocene Colonization of the New World, published by California, University of California Press, page 174, published in 2002. Here we go. The Old Crow site in the Yukon region of Canada also was long thought to be evidence of the pre-projectile point horizon on the basis of a single radiocarbon date of 26,000 to 29,000 BP on bones speculated to have been used by humans when fresh before the bone had begun to decay. However, follow-up dating showed that the undoubted materials at the site were not even Pleistocene in age. Hmm. Someone's been lying. Anyway, in this case, the public was deliberately misled. Sloppy scholarship was detected. Either way, the Old Crow's site was bogus. The Pleistocene Epoch was the period dating from 1.8 million years ago to 8,000 BC. This means the Old Crow site would have had to be later than 8,000 BC, not earlier. Thus, the site was not in the Pleistocene, but in the Holocene Epoch. Now that the Old Crow site has been eliminated, 85% of the five oldest sites with the earliest occupants are now closer to the Atlantic Ocean side of the American continent than the Pacific side. Okay. The second nail in the coffin is that by extension, it is now accepted that the first humans and the oldest civilizations existed in Africa. With Asia out of the picture, where is the most likely origin of departure for the first Americans? Is it from Africa or Southern Europe? Southern Europe is only mentioned because Northern Europe is out of the question, but was covered with large glaciers during the last ice age. 
Therefore, there is no evidence and no trail that can be followed from the fluted late Pleistocene points from Asia to the Americas. It is now clear that the big game hunting cultures of the Pleistocene did not follow fictitious herds of animals crossing the frozen tundra, migrating to the Americas from Asia. Note the definition of fluted points mentioned in the quote are spearheads shaped mostly from flint. They have grooves on them from their creators, chipping away the flakes, making the points sharp. In 1993, scholars found patterns of genetics in non-amarins. Then in 1996, Haven and Sutter found dental variations in South America. We have extensively studied the exodus of the first humans from Africa to arrive in Southern Europe 40,000 to 45,000 years ago. That is far more recent than the most conservative peer-reviewed date for the arrival of the first Americans from Africa about 250,000 to 350,000 years ago. Many scientists ignore the Paleolithic finds in Americas. Let us see if the following evidence exposes the flaws in that theory. Nina Jablonski is an author, professor, and head of the Department of Anthropology at Pennsylvania State University. She agrees that the evidence shows that the first Americans did not enter the Americas from Asia into Alaska. Jablonski's studies led her to write, The current archaeological and biological evidence does not support the assumptions of the Clovis migration theory about Paleo-Indian, Paleo-American migration routes. For example, there are no instances of late Pleistocene pre-Clovis fluid points at the entry point to the Americas, Alaska, despite intensive efforts. Research also has produced no Clovis-like big game hunting cultures in the interior of Northeast Asia. Okay. So you must be wondering, so where did these light-skinned Asian-looking Native Americans come from? Shall we jump into it? Okay, let's jump into it. Okay, so here is a, a little side note by Dr. M. Hoptep. Before beginning this section, there will be a change of terms. The scientific community, for example, Gonzalez, Jose, etc., 2005, have labeled the modern Native, Native Americans of today as Amerinds. For example, American and Indian. It is appropriate at this point to give the background of one of the most important of the Amarin documents, their Bible called the Walam Olum, meaning the Red Record. It was written by Mongolian Amarins in their records. The Mongolians did not reach the Americas until 2600 BC. This is the date that the Walam Olam gives their own ancestors who first arrived in the Americas and began mixing their blood with the resident African Proto-Americans. That would be the first time some of the American African skin would lighten. After the Vikings and Columbus opened the doors to North America, some of their skin colors lightened yet again. As a matter of fact, a few of these Amerinds have become so light-skinned that they look like what their descendants would call pale faces. I have been told that these folks with just a couple percent of original native blood are the ones who the powers that be, you know who we're talking, you know who he's talking about, are courting to build casinos on Indian reservations. 
The name of these Amarins, who used to be called so-called $5 Indians, has been buried. Their new name is the Pretendians. They are pretending that they are Indians so they can receive the benefits of having majority native blood. It is a shame that the little land that is left to the real Amarins is now being used by people who have very little or no native blood left in their bodies. Today, Mongolia is a country in East and Central Asia. When did the first Mongolians enter the Americas? Another date that we are told they first entered is around 3000 BC. This 3000 BC date was not chosen at random. It is based on scientific analysis carried out by the following sources. Lara Neves, etc., 1996. Support for, for Lair Neves, Neves, etc. comes from Jantz and Owsley, 1997. Steele and Powell, 1992, 93, 94, as well as Powell and Steele, 1993. Sources for non-Amarin cranial facial morphology, skull, or facial bones not belonging to Amarins among early North Americans, Can, Fox 96, and Harai, etc. In summary, all the scientists above studied skulls, genetic patterns, and dental variations to verify the first entry of Mongolians into Americas that only began after 3000 BC. As mentioned earlier, the natives themselves in the Walam Olum give us their date of 2600 BC. Either way, their dates are dwarfed by the arrival of Africans by 250,000 years or more in Central America. Now, to better understand the journal containing the article that states where the Holocene Epoch emanates from, the Yearbook of Physical, Physical Anthropology is an annual journal of review articles that summarize and evaluate recent literature and topics of current interest to biological anthropologists. It stated, Further, if the Mongolians did not come during the late Pleistocene Epoch, then when did they reach the Americas? As mentioned before, the Mongolians did not enter the Americas until the Middle Holocene period. Where did this they came in 3000 BC conclusion come from? Let's take a closer look at this issue. The Holocene Epoch began 2000 years ago and continues to the present day. According to the University of California's Museum of Paleontology and the United States Department of Agriculture, that would make the middle of the Holocene Epoch 5,000 years ago, which is equal to about 3,000 BC. This means that after diligent scientific study of ancient American skulls, only during the middle Holocene or later did the Mongolian populations enter the Americas. Wow. It has therefore been scientifically determined that there is no Paleolithic Asian Clovis migration during the Pleistocene times that ended in 8000 BC, as we have always been mistakenly taught by American textbooks. And by the way, this is me talking, those textbooks are crap. In History 110, Dr. Olson Raymer of Humboldt State University, California, humbly admitted, the myths about the indigenous peoples of North America have persisted largely, largely because of the desire by the conquering Europeans to justify and rationalize the consequences of their actions. I'm gonna repeat that again. The myths about the indigenous peoples of North America have persisted largely because of the desire by the conquering Europeans to justify and rationalize the consequences of their actions. 
When the Mongolians finally did enter North America from Asia across the Bering Strait in 2600 BC, their sheer numbers slowly diluted the blood of the first Americans who were already there and whose numbers had plummeted after surviving a cosmic cata catastrophe, which will later be explained in detail. The mixing of blood with the Mongolians influenced the proto-Americans. Their physical appearance began to change. Since most of the Mongolians probably came on foot rather than by boats, as the proto-Americans had to do, Many more of them were able to enter North America at one time. They were also able to come more often because of the convenience of walking as opposed to building a boat and sailing. This eventually allowed them to physically outnumber the Paleo-Americans. The Walam Ulum corroborates this crossing. From Asia to the New World and of the encounters of the people who were already living there, Historically, the Delaware Indian elder Winnie Pula of Anadarko, Oklahoma, further declared, the Walum Olum is like our Bible. I'm going to repeat that. From Asia into New World and of the encounters of the people who were already living there, historically, the Delaware Indian elder Winnie Pula of Anadarko, Oklahoma, further declared, the Walum Olum is like our Bible. Okay. Why did the Asians migrate to the Americas? So we're on page 45 at the bottom. The Walam Olam states that the Huang New people were at war with the Yellow Emperor of China, whose name was Huang Di, and his followers, the Huang Ti. In ancient times, the Yellow Emperor was known to have been a child prodigy. As he grew, he showed himself to be sincere wise, honest, and compassionate. Without knowing the details on the surface, it looks as though the Yellow Emperor and his Huang Ti followers were the good guys, and the Huang Nu were the bad guys. The Huang Ti people of the Yellow Emperor drove away the, the Huang Nu people. They escaped from the Huang, excuse me, Huang Ti in Asia then travel east across the Bering Strait into the Americas around 2600 BC, 10,000 strong. How does this affect the so-called sacred theory of the first Amerins coming from Asia? The Walam Olam states that the Mongolian Hyangnu people arrived in the Americas around 2600 BC, which is 68,000 years after the Clovis artifacts were found. If the first Mongolians arrived in 2600, 100 BC, then who were the first people at the Clovis site in 9400 BC? Since the Mongolians from Asia arrived too late to create Clovis, does this not further debunk the credibility of the Clovis first theory? When the Hyangnu people left Mongolia in 26 BC and began to migrate to the Americas, they came in wave after wave at different time periods. After their initial entry from Asia in 2600 BC, another large wave of Mongolians entered America in 1250 AD, and that is almost 4,000 years after Hyangnu entered America back in 2600 BC. As mentioned earlier, when these Mongols entered the Americas, they came in greater numbers than the Africans had earlier. The Africans had walked or had come to the Americas in small boats for the Ice Age was in full swing back then. 
but shores from Asia to Alaska were almost completely or even totally covered with ice. In this later mi migration, 20,000 Mongolians are said to have entered across Beringia from Asia at one time. J.D. Baldwin, 1871, agrees with the combative foreigners and wrote, Perhaps the proto-Americans found the country mostly unoccupied and saw there but little of any other people until an eruption of warlike barbarians came upon them from the northwest. What follows is an example that illustrates that politics, politics has no business in academia or scientific discoveries. As late as 1989, a report stated that five archaeologists from South America had held back new data they found on older pre-Clovis discoveries. It was reported that the reason these archaeologists did not make their older finds public was that they feared their funding would be cut by colleagues in North America who endorsed the short chronology of Clovis to 9400 BC date. Wow. This new data showed there were people in the Americas long before Clovis, which is an example of the long chronology. This data was most likely held back because it supported the theory that the first Americans were not the people of Clovis and their culture was far older than had been reported. Another relevant story that portrays how politics pollutes history happened when Firestone, one of the authors of the cycle of cosmic catastrophes 2006, was conducting fieldwork for his book on the catastrophe that ended the last ice age. Firestone found concrete evidence of free Clovis people living in Canada. When he took this evidence to the local museum, which he declined to name to be displayed, however, they declined it as it was too controversial for them. Again, what a shame it is when politics becomes a factor in the field of history. And I agree, politics has no place in history. That's when uh, facts are either buried or diluted to confuse, to lift up one group over another when there's no reason for that at all. There's just no reason. It just causing pain and confusion. Okay. Here is the last nail in the Clovis first coffin. The Clovis points that were found 9,400 years ago do not match the points found in Asia, the land where they were said to have originated. Later, Firestone also found that the American Clovis points are very unlike flint points from Asia, their supposed land of origin. Considering this evidence, how could the Clovis people have been the same people from the same culture but with different flint points? Another serious falsehood some people should be ashamed of that has been going on for centuries is how the first American's land has been and is still being stolen. There are 493 Indian gaming operations in the United States. These operations are controlled and operated not by the natives on their reservations, but by organized gambling syndicates. Black Indians, or black birds, are losing their land on res reservations today. Surprisingly, they are not losing land to the red birds, red Indians. One may be surprised to know that it is not the red birds, but some white birds, white folks, pale people, many of whom have very little so-called Indian blood, and sometimes none at all, who are moving to reservations these days. They are building casinos to take advantage of certain tax advantages. These, cas these casinos are not owned by blackbirds or even redbirds, Dr. Clyde Winters makes crystal clear that. 
to ensure that Black Native Americans, BNA, would never be able to get their land back, white Americans created the myth that the Native Americans were descendants of Mongoloid people from East Asia. This myth was solidified in the minds of people around the world through the export of American cowboy movies that always depicted Apache or Mongoloid Indians as the authentic Native Americans or Indians. Today, there are few Afro-Americans recognized by Native Americans by the United States government. This is due to the fact that BNA, or Native or Black Native Americans, were forced to declare on government records and census forms that they were colored, Americans or freedmen, the same connotation that was applied to the former African slaves. And I can attest to that. I have done my genealogy. I was able to get past the 1800s. And yes, my ancestors started out before the census. They were native. They were indigenous. After the census, they were mulatto, then colored, then Negro. It's astonishing. Anyway, that's all I'm going to read for today. But um, I hope you all are getting this. Uh, this is some deep-ish, and can't wait to get further into the book. I want to uh, tackle Algonquins and uh, Omec. Okay because that's important. That's a, an, another wave of dark brown people who came into the Americas. In fact, the Olmecs are the mother culture of quote-unquote Native Americans. So, we're going to go into that as well, okay? I hope you found this interesting. Drop me a line. Um please drop me a line at afropagan065 at gmail.com. Tell me what you think of this, okay? This is getting good. Until then, please be safe. Take care of one another. And another episode coming up soon. Bye now and peace out.